Wonderful. Well, it's nice to have, like, we're doing pretty good here with the amount of students that are having to isolate right now. My goodness, eh? Good thing it's this year and not like last year, 2020. Praise the Lord. We can talk about it. The Lord brought us through. He is good and faithful. Amen? Come on. I I was praying last week that we wouldn't get sick with um, James and Maria here and to get through spiritual emphasis. And man, the, the Lord answers prayers. Amen? Come on. The Lord answers prayers. I am going to ask for those who are not wearing masks to, to please wear masks here in the chapel. We want to make sure that we are following our guidelines and our rules. So thank you for doing so. Do you have a friend? Oh, you know what? Before I get into it, I'm hoping you have friends. <laughs> uh, but before we get into the sermon, I do want to do a quick announcement. We don't usually do announcements, but I really want to uh, announce next Wednesday. Uh, we're bringing back an old school tradition that we would do here when I was a student. We would have a missions emphasis time here at the school. And so we're going to have a, a missions emphasis time here next week. And in pre-service prayer for the month of February, uh, our missions coordinator, Brianna over there, is doing a great job at putting all this together. And so we have a guest speaker coming here next week. Uh, and his name is Dan McTavish. And he is such a wonderful gentleman. He's been a global worker for years Uh, And our staff and faculty are uh, aware of him. If you don't know who he is, you'll get to meet him next week. Uh, And nearly 20 years ago now, uh, when I was in Omega, where's my Omega students at right now? When I was in Omega, we went to Romania and the Ukraine, and uh, Dan and his wife, Marty McTavish, were global workers in Romania when our Omega team went there. So that's when I first met him, and so he's going to be here next week, and he's going to share Uh, his experiences with you, and it's going to be wonderful, okay? Okay, let's get back to that friend conversation. You guys have friends, right? Yeah? Okay, great. Do you have a friend that you can communicate with without having to say any words, okay? You know what I'm talking about, where you can have a conversation and you say something, and then something happens later, and you can like look to the person, and you know what they're thinking, and they know what you're thinking. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Okay, great. Do you have a, a person in your life where you've had a conversation with, and then maybe a guest speaker comes up uh, on a spiritual emphasis week and says something that confirms something that you mentioned in a conversation, and then you kind of look over at that person, and you're like, I told you so? Like, Lauren, I told you so. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Right? Like, have you had that moment before where you're like, ah, yes, I've said that and I told you so, right? You know what I'm talking about? It also happens as a parent um, when you have children and you're telling them not to do something that they shouldn't be doing and they want to defy you because they're children and that's how children learn is by defying their parents and realizing it was a mistake and then they say, okay, I'm not going to do that again. And so I have two little boys, Seth and Simeon, and they love to wrestle. I also love that they love to wrestle. So I don't tell them not to wrestle because I want them to wrestle. It's very good for children to wrestle, both boys and girls. It's great for their motor skills. It's awesome, okay? If you still wrestle, good for you, right? I think it's awesome. And, uh, but with my boys, they're seven and five years old, and they know each other's buttons. They know which buttons to push. Anybody have a sibling that they wrestled with growing up? Yeah, yeah. I see that hand, Nathan. (laughs) 
And so my boys, Seth is not a good wrestler. Like, you know, like, you know how there's like, they just, there's written rules or unwritten rules that you just don't do, right? Like when you wrestle, you don't punch in the face, right? For siblings, you can punch in the shoulder. You can hit the back. You can like Charlie horse. You can like push. You can't punch in the face, right? Like you can push the person in the face, but you can't punch them in the face. You know what I'm talking about? So Seth, he's not very like fluid in his wrestling and he hits harder than he should. And Simeon really does not like that. Simeon's a good little wrestler. But Seth, when he gets angry, he'll like fake punch in the face. But then you're like defensive right away. Like Simi's defensive and his emotions are up. And now he's angry because Seth is like swiped at his face. And so Simeon in his retaliation will like swing back and hit Seth in the face. And so I, they know each other's buttons and I know their buttons and I know when they're pushing each other's buttons. And so there's the, I told you so that you have with a friend, but there's also that like parental role, that father voice, don't be doing that because things are going to escalate and somebody's going to get angry at each other. And they keep fighting and they keep fighting until all of a sudden Simi screams and then swings and punches Seth in the face and then Seth is all angry. And then the father turns and says, I told you so. Like, you know that like angry, disciplinary, I told you so? Anybody ever experienced that from your parents? Yeah. Maybe it was that fatherly, I told you so. Maybe it was the motherly, I told you so that I told that you were going to do that. Like, I knew that that was going to happen. Yeah, totally. That was, that was my experience with my mom growing up. That's why you moved out. Oh, dear. We all need I told you so's in our life. <laughs> There's also the I told you so's in the sense of like, okay, we don't have much time left together. Maybe uh, like I think of family members uh, on a deathbed, they want to share their last like most important wisdom. Let me tell you something, okay? Something that I've told you before that I need to remind you again and again and again. Uh, and that's the situation that we have in the book of John in chapter 16, where Jesus is with his disciples. We've been camping in this section of John for the last three weeks now. We started in chapter 13, and Jesus is having a meal, this, this last meal, what is the beginning of our communion time that Jesus is having with his disciples. And he begins with what? He begins by washing their feet. And we talked a couple weeks ago about that example of love. And then we had the drama ensue with the betrayal of love where Judas, right? Christ feeds him the bread and everybody knows that it's Judas is going to do something. And then Judas storms out and he portrays Jesus and it's this dramatic moment. And Jesus talks about loving each other, the command to love one another. Through chapters 14 and 15 and 16, John takes the, the teachings of Jesus And he focuses specifically on how Christ had mentioned that there is a counselor coming, that there is an advocate coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. And Jesus promises multiple times that the Spirit is going to come. He talks about uh, the vine and the branches. And again, through spiritual emphasis, we, we discussed through these passages that we are to remain in Jesus as he remains in us. We cannot bear fruit if we do not remain in Jesus. Uh, And he talks about um, how the world will hate his followers. He talked about that he's the only way to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to be in relationship 
with the Father. And he has all of these, like, I told you so, last minute, I'm trying to get everything out to you so you are prepared for what is to come. And then they go into the garden and Jesus prays and the disciples have a nap and he gets arrested and you know the story. And so in chapter 16, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to work through these, I told you so. So I've titled my message, I've told you so. And if you have your Bible with you tonight, I want you to open up your Bible. And I want you to keep your Bibles open. I say this pretty much every time I preach. Bring your Bibles, open up your phone, get version open, and keep it open, keep it on, and we're going to go through this scripture together. So Jesus is telling his disciples what is about to happen. He's already told them before, but he is reminding them again all of what he has mentioned before in chapter 16. So here we go. I told you so. And in verse 1, it says, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. I have told you this so that you will not fall away. Basically, he's saying, if you do not remain in me, you will fall away. That's a, that's a harsh one to begin the chapter with. Like, you will fall away if you do not remain in Jesus. NIV, another translation, says, you will go astray. You will wander off. And remember, like Judas, who went astray, who fell away, it starts very small very unnoticeable, and it's like that wedge that gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until all of a sudden we have wandered away. And Jesus is saying, I tell you, I have told you, so that you will not fall away. God's words, the word, is sustaining to life, amen? It is sufficient, amen? It is all we need, amen? I would like to hear a little bit more on the amens there. Scripture is sufficient, amen? <clears throat> Do you want to have your faith secure so that it will never fail, it will never fade away, that you do not go astray? Can I tell you? To know his word. To know his words. To know the word. I get very uh, convicted, and also frustrated, and you've heard me say this before, where so often people, rather than reading scripture, will listen to sermons or worship songs in their devotion time. And now I'm not against sermons, I'm a preacher. And I'm not against worship songs because I love doing this. But if my primary foundation of the promises of God or the the blessings of God or the security of God are founded in sermons and songs and not scripture, your foundation is going to fade. That old school hymn on Christ the solid, all other ground is, well, how do you have, why do we have different lyrics? Trina, I think you are off. <laughs> Solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Now, I know songs and sermons point to Scripture. I get that. But the foundation is to be Scripture. Amen? If the foundation is not Scripture, if we do not remain in Him and He in us, you will fall away. 
Isn't that scary? And I know too many students who have sat in these seats over the years that I've been on staff here, the years while I was a student here, who have not held scripture, the word of God, Christ himself, as their foundation, and they've gone astray. I have told you so that you will not fall away. Okay, that, that's verse one. We're going through the whole chapter tonight. We gotta get going here. Wow, why am I in Isaiah? That's weird. <laughs> okay. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is, but I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I want to clarify in this passage here. As Jesus is, again, he's he's sitting at the table after the dinner. You know how like you have a meal and then like you finish your food and then you kind of push your plate back and then you kind of relax a little bit. This is the moment right? It's that after meal discussion and community together. And Jesus is saying to them, like, remain in me. There's going to be some trouble coming your way, is essentially what he's saying. And I want to make sure as we read these words, we have to think in the context as it was written, that he's speaking to the disciples about his death and his resurrection, okay? It's not about his He has ascended into heaven and it's the time before his second coming. No, he's specifically speaking about death and resurrection. They've had their meal. Jesus is is telling them what is about to happen and transpire over the next couple of days. And he is saying to them, but truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit five times. This is the fifth time here in this book that he promises his disciples the Holy Spirit. And it's not even at that moment that the Holy Spirit comes. It's after he goes away in Acts when Pentecost took place in the birth of the church. But he promises the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I wanna, if I can, if I may, talk a little bit about last week with spiritual emphasis because there were some really cool things that took place last week. Like, like some really cool things about dealing with our stuff and about forgiving those who have hurt us. Coming to the Lord and seeking forgiveness ourselves. And there was some breakthrough in that. There was some breakthrough in shame that people were holding on to. And the Lord broke into their life as we prayed for one another. The Spirit was moving here in this place last week. And you know what? I was really uncomfortable. Yeah, I was really uncomfortable. 
Isn't it weird that the comforter, <laughs> he's known as the comforter, yet when he moves, I can be quite uncomfortable? Anybody else with that? Yeah. The natural in which that I, we get stuck and live in, and the supernatural comes into play, and sometimes it's just a little bit uncomfortable. And in my uncomfortableness, as I was kneeling and praying, and I really felt the spirit moving. I should say sense. I don't like the word felt. I sensed the spirit moving. And I was convicted that that I wanted to control the situation. It being, right, my church, my flock, my students, and guest speakers, and I want to protect my students. And I felt uncomfortable, yet at the same time, oh, I felt I sensed the spirit moving in people's lives. And so I had to surrender. Oh, Lord, your will, not mine. Your ways are greater than mine. I submit and I surrender to you. You've shown me the example of submission. I want to follow through with that and allow you to move. And I think even in this teaching, this is the fifth time that he's told the disciples, and the disciples are confused And there was confusion that took place on the day of Pentecost as well. There's confusion and uncertainty and questions and doubts. And I know there still are here in this room from last week. But can I encourage you? And I'd love to tell you my story that I'll have to hold on for another time. We just don't have the time for it. That it took me a while to get to a place where I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't need to speak on uh, tongues as initial evidence or not. I'm not looking for, into getting into that right now. But my experience was with tongues. That I, I sensed the infilling of the Spirit in my life and I responded with speaking in utterances out loud. And there was an overwhelming sense of peace and assurance and empowerment in my life. And I was blessed by it. And I know there's questions and concerns, desires and wants, but fear and doubt that all comes together with it. And I understand because it was the same for me too. Because I went through four years of Bible college and I never once spoke in tongues. Desired it, asked for it, sought for it, wished for it, prayed for it, and never once did I speak in tongues. It wasn't until after, it wasn't until after I graduated But there was a moment at a conference that I came to this place of pure conviction that I was seeking just the gift of tongues and I forgot all about the gift giver. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like like truly I wanted the gift, I wanted the experience over the intimacy with my Lord and Savior. And so can I encourage you to pursue? Can I encourage you to keep seeking? Can I encourage you to ask? And we'll get into this concept of asking throughout our passage here. To not give up and to keep pursuing the gift giver. And I do believe that he will bless you with the gift. Do not just seek the gift, seek the gift giver. I do want to mention too, before we continue on, Kim and I are very, very intentional of trying not to get too overly emotional in experiences like that. And it was a very emotional experience. I'm okay with emotion. I'm very good with emotion. I have cried at this altar many times. I have cried on these chairs 
maybe it was the chairs prior to this, doesn't matter. But I have cried in this room and I've prayed with people and was overwhelmed with emotion. So I'm, I'm fine with emotion, but I'm not fine with seeking an emotional experience. Do you know what I mean? No, emotion comes with it and I'm fine with that. But the spirit can move in any time of your life, not just at an altar here. But I am also convicted that when he first poured out his spirit on people, they were in community together. There's something about that that I'm just convinced of. The spirit came in and, and filled people and there was utterances and sounds and languages that they themselves did not understand and they were in community. So there's something powerful, of course, of being in community. And so, yes, we can receive the spirit when we were by ourselves. And that was my experience. I was in a room with lots of people, but in that moment I was by myself. But it was done so originally in community. And so can we continue to seek together in this? Are we willing to continue together in this discussion and in this topic? Yes? Wonderful. Let's continue in our passage here. Where are we at? Verse 8. Verse 8, when he comes, talking about the Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, in regard to sin because men do not believe in me, in regard to righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can no longer, where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. The spirit empowers empowers us for ministry. The Spirit guides us into all truths. The Spirit makes known and reveals what is to come. The Spirit glorifies Christ. So let's continue on here. We'll get to the next I told you. Verse 16. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Isn't it funny? Right? Isn't it funny? Like he's specifically speaking about his death and resurrection here. Let's not forget that, okay? In a little while, you'll see me no more. And then in a, after a little while, you'll see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying in a little while, you will see me no more? And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me? Isn't it funny that John writes that three times? And isn't it funny that they're sitting at a table and he says this, and then they're asking questions about it, and Jesus is still right there? Like he knows all things, so he could have been in another room and knew that they were talking about it, but he's right there in front of them at the table, and they're asking each other. I think it's hilarious. Verse 20. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. So he's speaking of his death. The disciples are going to grieve. They're going to experience the loss 
of their savior, the loss of their leader, of their teacher, of their rabbi. The world is going to rejoice because they, they will think that they won. But in a little while, he is going to return. And there's this battle between grief and joy. And many of us, many of you dealt with grief last week here in this room. Some maybe began to deal with grief here last week in this room. And many of you still today live day to day in grief. Each day you wake up in grief. Grief means deep sorrow. Deep sorrow for a loved one, for a person, but holding on to deep sorrow. It also means trouble and annoyance. And many of you live day in and day out in deep trouble and annoyance. And I'm not speaking specifically about mental illness. That's not where I'm going. But we walk with a heaviness and a weight of grief rather than joy. And when we look at these passages with that interpretation of walking in grief day in and day out, we interpret this passage thinking that Jesus, when he's talking to us, it's like, okay, my life right now is grief, but he's going to return and then I'm going to be in joy. I'm in a season of grief, but when he returns and retrieves his bride, then we'll rejoice, and then we'll be joyful. And in our trouble and in our annoyance of each day, we think, oh, my reality is grief. But this is not true. Because the grief to joy is in the death and the resurrection period as he spoke to his disciples. The grief period is when he died and he's in the grave. The joy period, the rejoicing period is today, right now, because Jesus has resurrected from the grave. Amen? Because he stands victorious over sin and slavery. Joy has poured out since that first Easter morning. There has been joy. We're not in a season of grief. We are in a season of joy. And we're to walk in the joy that is set before us because of Christ on the cross. Amen. But so often we live today in grief and in trouble and in annoyance rather than in victory and freedom and joy. Do you know um, what the difference between a thermometer this is a thermometer. And in the back corner over there on the wall, who's there in the very back right corner? What's above you? A, a thermostat. <laughs> a thermostat. What, is, what does a thermometer do? It what? It tells you the temperature. It goes up and down and tells you the temperature. What does a thermostat do? It sets the temperature. Now, the temperature in a room can change. And if the temperature in a room, or this, it would be a meat product, can change, and it goes up and down. 
but a thermostat stays steady and stays still. And I find so often many in our walk with Christ and our faith, rather than being a thermostat where we're steady and secure, no matter what situation or circumstances is going around me, we operate more like a thermometer and we go up and down, up and down, up and down continuously. When we have been given joy and victory in defeat of sin and slavery, that we can stand now in freedom and not in bondage. Jesus uses this funny picture that I think is hilarious. Verse 21, he says, you will grieve, but your grief will turn into joy. Verse 21, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Think about this. Jesus is talking about birth of child, no, pain of childbirthing. He's in a room, a male who's never experienced never experienced giving birth to a child. He knows all things, so he would understand it. But he's sitting at a table with a bunch of men, and they're talking about the pain of childbirthing. I think that's humorous to me. A bunch of gentlemen are speaking about the pain of childbirthing. And you know what? I remember. I remember when Rebecca gave birth to our firstborn. It is hard. It is difficult, and I know that I never gave birth to a child, but I came as close as a man can come to experiencing it all in the operation room, not operation room, birthing room. Operation room was the second time around. But let me tell you, standing there, holding a leg, screaming at your wife, who is in extreme pain at the moment. Let me tell you this story. I'm not going to get too graphic. It's a beautiful story. It's the most ugliest, most beautiful thing I have ever experienced in my entire life. So Rebecca went into labor. It was like she felt the contractions at like 8 p.m. at night. We phone our midwife, okay? Uh, We get her to come over. She like hangs out at our house. If you ever get pregnant, go through a midwifery. They're fantastic. Love them, okay? And uh, so... She comes over to our house, and um, we're doing the thing. Like, Rebecca's, like, rocking back and forth, right? And, like, going through the contractions. And I'm, like, turning the shower on for her so she gets into the warm water. And I'm, like, feeding her. And then I'm, like, giving her the water bottle. And I'm, like, helping her around. And it was awesome. Any pillows I needed, like, right around. Doing everything and anything I could to ease her discomfort. And then it's about 1 o'clock in the morning. And because we had the midwife there, we were able to know at what point she was able to go to the hospital so that she could go into active labor to give birth to her child. So we drive to the hospital. Everything's ready to go. We get to the hospital, into the wheelchair, into the room. Like, I'm so excited. This is amazing. And then for 10 hours, Rebecca is in active pushing labor. Oh my gosh. 10 hours. Never once took any medication for pain. She is a champion. Seriously, champion. Second time around with Simeon, she took everything she could possibly take. (laughs) 
<laughs> and eventually, unfortunately, we went to a cesarean because of complications, but it is what it is. First time round, no medication. She's a champion. And so we're like in the room doing the hip thing again, right? Back and forth. And like, she's on her hands and knees at one point, And then she's like on her side. And then she's on her back and like all of it, right? And I'm like holding her leg and I'm like wiping her hair from her face and feeding her ice chips and feed her water. And we're like, we can do this. We got this. And uh, Seth, our first one, we didn't know if it was a boy at the time. Uh, so just our, our baby was uh, taking a long time to come out of her body. And uh, so we had the doctor come in uh, because there was concern about his heart rate. His heart rate was dropping. And so the doctor is like, if we don't get this baby out, there could be some real damage done to this child. So we need to take in uh, the conversations of cesarean or uh, the forceps, which is basically like plier plunger things that you just stick to the head and like, like yank it out. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That was my response too. I'm like, I don't want that to happen to my child. And so the doctor was like, okay, by 10.30 a.m., like, again, we've been in there for a while. By 10.30 is the cutoff time. That is when this baby needs to come out. And if not, we're putting the forceps on it. And so I'm here. Other nurses here. Midwife is here. And I'm like, Rebecca, come on, let's go. Ice chip, ice chip, get this baby out. And at 10.28, Seth came out alive and well and healthy and happy. And it was awesome. Yes, beautiful. <laughs> the first thing, the first thing Rebecca said, I won't get in the position. <laughs> this is the first thing she said. I am never doing that again. Not even a lie. I'm dead serious. I am never doing that again, is what she first said. Guess what? We have more than one child. We have more than one child, yeah. And here's the other beauty of it. Grief, pain, to what? To joy? Guess what the name of our midwife was? Joy. She caught our baby. Joy. Isn't that amazing? Grief to joy. Oh, it's so beautiful. Disgusting, but so beautiful. <clears throat> and this passage that yes, we need to acknowledge that there is grief in our life. But joy is ours at the moment of salvation. At the moment of understanding what Christ has done on the cross and then resurrected from the grave, victorious over sin and slavery, that we have freedom and joy in our lives today that we get to walk in. The power of of joy outweighs the pain of grief. Let's continue on. <clears throat> Verse 23, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And to know, until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. What a promise. Like your joy will be complete. Not, not when he comes to retrieve his bride for eternity. Here, now, on earth, in this moment, our joy 
can be complete. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And I think so many don't live in joy because we just don't ask. Because we're afraid to ask. We're afraid that he won't give it to us. And we're afraid that it's because of something I've done. And because of that, we have a misunderstanding of his grace. We have a misunderstanding of his love. We have a misunderstanding of his character and who he is. Which is why it's so important to have this as your foundation. Because it's even those little things of I'm afraid to ask is like the sliver of the wedge that gets in there and it begins the divide. And then I ask and nothing happened and oh, why even ask again? Because it's not gonna happen anyways. And that divide gets bigger. And then I stop reading my word and it's been a month and it's been two months and I don't even speak about it. I don't meditate on it day and night. I don't even have his promises coming out of my mouth regularly and it's the divide gets bigger and bigger and bigger and we don't have it because we just don't ask. Matthew 7 talks about that we give good gifts to our children and we're evil. We're evil and we give good gifts to our children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And James talks about that when we ask, we must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed back and forth. Do you believe? Do you believe that you can ask the Father and he will give you joy? Do you believe that you can approach the throne of the Almighty with confidence and assurance and say, Father, please, I need? Jesus says, if we ask in his name. And it's not like a magic formula. In Jesus' name means that posture of surrender. Oh, Lord, I want my will to align with your will. My desires to be your desires. My wants to mirror yours for my life. That's what that in Jesus name is. It's a place of submission, not a place of demanding. Does that make sense? And Christ promises, I tell you, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask if you are submissive and aligned with my will, ask in my name. I'll get the, the band to come on up here. We'll get through the rest of this passage. Verse 25. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I come from God. Verse 28, I came from the Father and I entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and I'm going back to the Father. Plain as day, he says it there. And guess what? Then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you come from God. After three years of ministry together, they now have learned it and figured it out. And Jesus' response, 
Jesus' response, do you now believe? Like, do you? Do you really now believe? Because a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. Peter, I already know what you're gonna do. It's gonna happen in a couple of days and the rest of you is gonna be the exact same and you will leave me all alone. He's talking about being in the grave and yet I am not alone for my father is with me. And then he goes on to finish in verse 33. I have told you I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace because in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Can we go on to that next slide? I told you, I told you if you do not remain in me, if you do not stand upon my word, if you do not go through me the way, the truth, and the life, you cannot go to the Father. If you do not remain in me, you will fall away. I've told you, the Spirit is coming. The Spirit is coming. I will send him. When I leave, he is coming. I have told you, your grief, it will turn into joy. I know there's a process, but it will turn into joy. And if you don't believe, ask my Father, and he will give it to you. I'm telling you this because I understand we don't live in the grief. We live in the joy victoriously, but there still is trouble in this world, right? There still is trouble in this world. But within the trouble and with the hurt and with the chaos and the confusion and the doubts and the uncertainties, we can have peace. We can have assurance We can be like a thermostat, steady, unchanged, unmoving, no matter the temperature in the room, rather than the thermometer that goes up and down, up and down, up and down. So would you stand with me this evening? I believe Jesus is wanting to tell you that he loves you. I think Jesus is wanting to tell you that his Father loves you. And I'm grateful that we're already in the season of joy, that we can rejoice, that the Spirit is with us. We don't have to just wait. We can pray and ask and receive. If in the moment you don't receive, can I encourage you to continue to pursue? Continue to pursue. Don't give up and allow the sliver of that wedge to divide. So what we're going to do in this moment is we're going to open up these altars. I'm not going to go through the same prayer style as what we did last week, but I would like to give you the opportunity to ask and to receive joy. And it may be the infilling of the Spirit in your life that you would like to seek. It may be just an increase in your faith. It may be actually just coming to the Lord and saying, I just need to ask again because I haven't even asked lately. And so I'm going to open up these altars and allow you to come and pray and to seek because I believe the Lord wants to speak to you. Jesus, I thank you for your words. Jesus, I thank you for your promises, that if we remain in you, we will not go astray. 
I thank you for the promise of your spirit, Holy Spirit, that you are here now with us in this moment. Jesus, I thank you that we can stand victoriously, rejoice, be full of joy in the midst of all that is taking on, taking place and going on in our world. Father, for those who need an, an aid, thank you for the helper that you've sent. Who need your blessing, Father, I pray over them. Would they receive your blessing tonight? Would you give them the faith to ask as a child asks their father? And Jesus, I pray peace and assurance in our hearts tonight in the midst of all that is taking place in our day and all the trouble that we face each day. Holy Spirit, would you move now in this moment, I pray. The altar is open. Please feel free to move around and about. We'll take a few minutes here and we'll wait patiently and tarry before the Lord with hope and expectation that he's here and is going to move.